Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. It's going to take a monumental global effort to change this for our next generations. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. I'm thrilled you've chosen to spend this time with me and I'm excited to bring you today's guest. Now, if you've jumped straight into this episode and haven't yet listened to last Thursday's part one with Tara, well, I strongly encourage you to go back and check that one out first. Tara gives the backstory that's all important in understanding her journey. Today's part two, picking up right where we left off. So without further ado, let's tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. you're a long-time listener, but for those who are unfamiliar, I will name a specific market or topic and you can spend 30 to 60 seconds on whether or not you think it's hot or hype and why. And we'll start with microgrids, hot or hype? I think it's hot. I think like distributed generation energy. I think a departure from the norm today, there's going to be something. There's going to be something and it's going to be something growing and becoming bigger. And I think that there's something really to decentralization of energy. I'm in a, I'm a PG&E customer or formerly. So this is a little bit of a sore topic right now, <laughs> but you know, I think that there's going to have to be some kind of a revolution about the way energy is distributed. And I think microgrids, DG, I think that's going to be hot. And it's going to continue growing this kind of topic and concern and advancement as far as technology or ideas. I love it, especially in light of failing utility models like PG&E. <laughs> Latin America has been hailed in previous uh, years as the fastest growing market for solar. It's certainly a place where it still remains the wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know through your lens if you see much about LATAM, but I'm curious what you think. Is LATAM still hot or is it hype? I think we're still we're still waiting. You know, there's promise of big pipelines you know, Mexico being, you know, one of the hottest markets or promising markets, but there's some regulatory stuff going on that, you know, will will determine whether or not it's going to be hot. Are you guys getting downstream partners from LATAM? So I remember when Atacama 1 mm-hmm. was first installed, that was like 2014, 15. Right. And then I think, you know, things got a little bit quiet for a couple of years in LATAM, but there's a lot of growth and the predictions are huge. Last year, Green Tech Media, GTM, uh, predicted 40 gigawatts of solar to be installed by 2021. Costs are coming down all across the board, but costs that have have historically prevented growth in Latin America have come down. Um, Incentives are going up, especially in Mexico and Brazil. And I think that this is all driving the folks who are making the decisions to think, yeah, solar is starting to make a lot of sense here as you know, as a solution for the energy problem and as a solution for a financial investment. 
Next, we'll move to the topic of vehicle to grid. And I sometimes say the nexus of distributed energy and e-mobility. This is connecting your car and you know discharge of electricity, blah, blah, blah. Hot or hype? As the energy transition progresses, as I think it has to progress, the gas-powered car is going to become the dirty secret. Mm-hmm. Just like today, at least in the Bay Area, somebody drives around in a Hummer, you know, and like, you know, in any other kind of gas guzzler car and folks, you know, shake their heads. I think, you know, in not too long, the gas-powered car is going to become like that. Yeah. And if you're not driving an electric vehicle, you know, you're you're out of the club. And what's going to power all those cars? We need to have, you know, a really firm and strong um, and robust infrastructure to be able to power all those cars. And I think that power, it's got to come from renewables. It has to. So I think there's a, you know, there's a synergistic and, a, you know, a strong marriage between advancements in the auto industry and the requirements of the renewables industry to make that happen. Yeah. So you're a total fanboy, as <laughs> many of us are, but you teed up my next question, 100% renewables as a logical target for our policymakers. Is that hot or hype? I think that's hype. I really do. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's an amazing and lofty goal and I would love to see that happen. Really, really love to see that happen. But I think it's, um, it's aggressive and looking at sort of historical performance. I mean, and it really does take, it takes laws. That's what it takes. It takes laws and it takes, passionate people in education to make those changes. But I think realistically speaking, I'm a pragmatist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I think it's going to be pretty challenging. We'll get there maybe in, you know, a hundred years, but I don't know about the next 50 or whatever. I asked Jenya about bifacial and I don't think Mm -hmm. there's any doubt that bifacial is hot. What I want to understand is why. Well, Because you've got your plot of land where you're building a solar asset. Mm -hmm. And if you can eke out more gain on this product by adding cells to the backside, you've taken your same amount of space. You've exponentially increased your gains, both energy and financial, Mm -hmm. right? So the promise that bifacial technology holds for the finance community alone is tremendous, so it puts you guys in an interesting place in time. Definitely. Because there's no data. <laughs> yeah. There's no data. And yeah. every downstream customer uh-huh. from next era to nextility wants to know, yeah. how can I validate that oh, I'm going to yeah. get seven, let alone 17% yield increase yep. from a pl- from my plant? Yep. Gosh, if I had a nickel for every, how many times in a day I hear these, these questions? Yeah. I know it's incredibly hot right now. I can say that, Pivel is right there in the mix of working with the smartest research institutions in the world and other partners and other customers to quantify this. When are we going to see this? When is my customer, Allion Energy, going to be able to go credibly have a conversation that incorporates the ability to see yield improvements on bifacial and know that the deal is going to actually go forward with bifacial and when are developers going to be able to trust the models? Yeah. So there's some information trickling out now. I've seen some of the designs of some of the studies and they might be uh, not as robust as mm-hmm. what, we're, what we're launching here pretty soon. We received an award by the Department of Energy uh-huh. to study bifacial technology. And what we're studying is, you know, we're doing a one-year study. You know, we're going to take that data and we're going to validate energy models 
we're going to find out what's what. Are you yeah. building a, a, a bunch of test rows or where are you, mm-hmm. how are you doing that? Yeah. So we have a test site, um, outdoor test site in Davis, California, Okay. where we are building a roughly 300 kilowatt system. Mm-hmm. With uh, over a couple of albedos, we're studying bifacial, we're, we're measuring um, a number of module manufacturers bifacial, comparing their bifacial to other bifacial mm-hmm. and also their bifacial to monofacial. Must be a land grab for manufacturers who know you're trying to do this too. Like, yeah, one, one person dedicated is saying no, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You guys should, like, somebody, I'm sure, should be having a conversation with. Like all of the developers from Next Era to Cypress on down, like mm-hmm. everyone is installing at least a test row, mm-hmm. at least mm-hmm. if not like one or two megawatts yep. of fully bifacial from yep. with long longi with REC yep. with like everybody's got bifacial panels, but that, but it's all siloed. Like all the data is siloed. Yeah, well, it's interesting you bring up that perspective because we were designing our study. You know, we do our homework, and not just our homework in terms of you know what do we need to do to test this device. We look at all kinds of data out there. We talk to asset owners, we mm-hmm. talk to the banks and we talk to the developers and we, you know, and this goes for all of our test programs. Mm-hmm. We talk to them and we say, what do you need to see? What do we need to do to help you feel confident in this technology to support widespread adoption of bifacial? And those inputs are very, very key in the design of our tests mm-hmm. um, and including with this study. But I think you have a great point about who's going to be the aggregator of yeah. all this data. I would love to say that there's one single source. Yeah. And like I said, if people want to send their data into PVAL, we will be that source. Dude, I think um, Clump could do that. I think that CEA could be that play that role. Like they've put themselves in the market in a way that they could inject that level of IE. If it's not PVAL, I certainly think PVAL could. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just thinking of like who has the role in the industry, right? Like who really is going to be able to convince people to give them that data um actually who's going to be able to do it is if you can get a bank as always to mm-hmm. say you need to give this data to pvel because we've mm-hmm. got 14 other sites that are giving their data to pvel mm-hmm. so hey if you're mm-hmm. listening to this and you're a developer <laughs> who's doing a, a test bed for bifacial especially if you have four megawatts in chile please contact <laughs> pvel mm-hmm. and uh ask and and let and sign their nda and give them your data because they're not going to uh, share it with your other developer friends. They're going to share it with the rest of the world to validate that bifacial is the future. We'll anonymize. We'll we'll create uh, reports in aggregate. We yeah. would love to be the the leader in this industry. And you Indeed. know we are the we are the leader in our you know our testing industry. But um, would love to be that leader in terms of sharing bifacial data with the world. Is there anything in particular that you feel like you hold as a position that's controversial? There's a lot of not great product out there, PV products. Don't and say. Yeah, really. That's not the controversial part. <laughs> um, and, you know, when I first started in testing, we'd see these modules come to us in these ironclad boxes, you know, on a pallet surrounded by wood, wood. with styrofoam and spacers and pixie dust, you know, <laughs> like really lovingly packed yeah. as you might think. Prayerfully the, packed. Right. Yeah. Right. As, as you might think a manufacturer would when they're sending the product to the Glass. test lab, they want, they want the product to arrive there pristine. So you rule out, you know, the handling and the shipping. And you're specifically um, speaking issues. of product that comes to a test lab. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I would think they would send it to us with utmost care. Oh yeah. My, I would deliver it with white glove. Right. Uh, exactly. Elves. The pixie dust. Yeah. <laughs> elves. And you know, over time, I've seen the costs of solar coming down, the margins becoming really thin. And 
you know, it's got to come from somewhere. There's, yeah. there's got to be optimization. Mm-hmm. So many manufacturers have optimized packaging and this can represent some real risk in the industry. Yeah. This is just one example, but one, you know, one that represents real risk. And now we see modules coming in extreme cases, zip tied and wrapped in cellophane. Like, like luggage? Yeah. They're just blue wrapped. I think it's that same material, it's actually. Same, it's probably the same machine. Yeah, yeah, with some, you know, with some corner protectors, maybe, you know, and there's the whole range in between. So they're just on a pallet. Like, what happens when you break all that stuff free? Are they stacked up, or are they on typically like on their side, like they used to be packed? Now we're seeing them stacked vertically. Yeah, so, they're stacked vertically, so you yeah. undo all that shit and they fall over <laughs> in well, the field uh, on your laborer's toes. And now you're coming to the controversial part. These modules arrive at these field sites and they may have sustained some damage during shipment. Well, how couldn't they? Right. Yeah. And, you know, they're getting to the field site and the Being EPCs. By a meth addict. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. But, um, <laughs> EPCs are unpacking these things. You know, they not, cut them. Not speaking to anyone who's ever been hired by Aerotech because they're an <laughs> upstanding template agency, but. <laughs> we use Aerotech here. We got oh, some really I'm, amazing I'm, people. They're amazing. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm yeah. not knocking Aerotech, but. The temp agency nature of our business is real. <laughs> the, further, probably, the further you, afield you get, the the lower the quality of the folks that are unwrapping the cellophane, as you put it. I'm sure you you know a lot more about that than I do. <laughs> but you know, you cut that zip tie and these vertically stacked modules. If you're a first time installer, yeah, you're going to have some damage on your hands probably. Yeah. And then, you know, we all know what happens during construction. Yeah. You know, there's handling stuff. Yep. There, people are laying hands on these things, which inherently is... And we are is, speaking religiously. <laughs> yeah. They're laying hands. <laughs> they're picking these things up and they're moving them. Yeah. And, you know, there's inherent risk in that. So, you well, know... Well, the plus side is that if they get abandoned on a site and, you know, in the rain and snow, they're, the cardboard's not going to wash away as we've seen in the past. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, this is controversial. I mean, how do you, I've I've seen as I you know I've seen horror stories of mm-hmm. how modules have been handled in the field. I mean, mm-hmm. from my Trina days to um, my EPC days, but uh, I can't imagine seeing them arrive on site wrapped in cellophane. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the implications for you as a testing lab? What are the implications to the industry once those modules are installed in the fields? they're going to have some problems, mm-hmm. right? They're going to have problems um, technically. They're going to mm-hmm. have problems. They're going to create financial problems when rows go out, when we, you know, there are hot spots and, yep. you know, and burns and cracks. And yeah. they're going to be ornery teenagers. Yeah. And, and what's going to happen, you know, and maybe there'll be infant death. We call it in the industry where, you know, within six months, a year, you've got failed yeah. product, but there could be, you That's know, longer likely. term wear out. And, these issues are not necessarily visible to the naked eye. You no, can't see snail. micro cracks in cells. Yeah, no snail trails don't, don't appear in for years. Yeah. Three so years, right? what that means for the industry and going back to that stat of 85% of the world's solar installed in less than five years, I've been at this company for seven years and mm-hmm. seen an evolution of packaging change and costs coming yeah. down and corners being cut. If we look at that parallel trajectory again, we see, you know, like what I've seen in the lab and, all of that solar being installed in the world, I think we're going to see some some problems, a lot more problems in the field than than the world expects. Amazing, and I think that's hard. That's hard for asset owners to hear. Yeah, I mean, are you giving asset owners advice on how to 
prevent that? Or, or is it just something that's a scary truth that we're trying to figure out how to deal with? Yeah. So, I mean, the lab gets involved in a bunch of different stages. And first of all, I want to say yeah. you're absolutely right. I can't believe <laughs> I don't want to over I don't want to gloss over the point. People are sending test modules to a test laboratory, like one of the most professional in the world. It looks like it's going to a job site, which two points, positive and negative. On the negative side, like WTF, you're not even taking care that like the module you get to the test lab gets tested in the best possible light of conditions. On the positive side, that's that's the negative side. On the positive side, a lot of people in the field complain like, oh yeah, it was tested in the lab. Okay, great. That's like white glove you know, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I even trust it because they probably sent you the highest uh, flashing uh, module. Your experience was suggested that at this point, they don't really care. They're just sending one pallet here, one pallet there. We do actually ensure in the factory. That's one of the things that we do to make sure that they're not sending us cherry, you know, cherry yeah. picked samples or yeah. golden samples. We actually send an auditor into the factory to witness the production from opening of raw material package all the way through to strapping no in a pallet and you know wrapping with wrapping with tamper proof tape yeah so we we really control the the provenance of the module and the bill of materials so no that way. we can then advise the buyers on the bill of materials that perform well in the lab not just the, the skew but the actual bill of materials that made up that skew you guys have some sort of high throughput testing for a container that like you intercept it between the manufacturer and the job site to make sure that it's skewed right or something. Tell me yeah, about that. That's right. Um, we call it high throughput module inspection. So like you said, we'll take a... Com- the yeah, HTMI. We'll- HTMI. That's right. Lots of acronyms. That's, that's the one we like for that one. We'll take a container full of modules, 500 modules, and like a... you know, like That's a- how many fit these days, huh? Golly. Yeah. All right, 500 modules. 500 modules. We'll run them through like a, like a Ford assembly plan. Um, flash visual EL, flash visual EL. And this so you're is, down by sun power, not literally a Ford assembly plant. I'm kidding. Uh, oh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, sorry. I get it. Richmond building. Okay. Yep, I should have gotten that. Those are the river. <laughs> For those who are unaware of the inside on the uptake joke, on that one. sun power's office is a former Ford plant. <clears throat> it is. Yeah. All right. So you're running these things through this assembly line. Exactly. Flash. Visual inspection yeah. and EL, electroluminescence image. Yeah. This is testing for microcracks. Exactly. And so we're we're really we're doing a, a quality check, a quick quality check. So it's really giving that the buyer, the installer or whatever, just a quick check to make sure that these modules are going into the field without those those you know, handling microcracks. Is this, is this a growing piece of your business? I would imagine it would be. Yeah. Definitely. How is it affordable? I can't fathom how this doesn't add like three pennies to every module. You know, when you think about the cost of this testing amortized over the lifetime of the field of the project, it's pennies in the bucket yeah. of what you could experience if you've got a shipment full of cellophane wrapped microcracks. It's a drop in the bucket. It's a drop in the bucket compared <laughs> to what you could experience with these problems in your field. So we're doing this quick quality check. Models go into the fields. Yeah. One of our many service offerings Yeah, to provide diligence to the buyers. I love it. So this is what we call lessons learned. I'm not going to carve this out and put it into the exclusive members only because I want you all to listen to this. Uh, I think that Tara has learned a lot in her career that is transferable. So what are some key lessons and takeaways from the most important mentors in your life and career? 
can't wait for you to ask me this one because I got one really good queued up. Okay, so I know we talked a lot about Dan Sugar. Hi, Dan. But he, you I'm know, flattered he, if Dan's listening. <laughs> <laughs> he will. He will. I'm going to send this to him and tell him Perfect. he's mentioned in here, and then he'll listen to it. He is. It was and is still a really important mentor in my career. We worked really well together. We were, you know, peas in a pod. I, you know, we just we worked really, really well together, and he's done so many amazing things in this industry. And I really aspire to that, that kind of ambition, right? So Dan taught me and others, others will recognize this phrase in sales. And I actually have to stand up for this because it's, it's really important. The delivery is important. So listeners imagine this Dan sugar, tall kind of big personality and like, you know, authoritative. He says, no is a request for more information. So in the sales world, no, he 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 often he would say it much more elevated. You yeah, yeah, yeah. Get into it. I want to hear your. <laughs> Should I, I try hear, it again? Stand, yeah, stand. Do it again. No is a request for more information. Now wait one more time. Now slam your hand on the table. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. No is a request for more information. There you go. That's the Dan Sugar. I want to do see. that. Okay, Dan. <laughs> um, so, but but you know what? That's. That's an important lesson in sales. And especially when the goal of the sale or the business development is to educate, right? So, you know, I pound pavement and my colleagues do too. And when, you know, like testing, whatever, you know, I've got a key, I've got a really solid strategy. I buy the best brand names. I buy the top tiers. I buy the best price. This is all I need to do for my strategy. And I hear that that's a no. And the request for more information, here's an analogy that is, you know, I think is really poignant for this case. Would you go out and buy a million dollar car without doing like a little bit of research Mm -hmm. from looking under the hood to actually looking up performance statistics, gas mileage, you know, whatever. The answer is probably not. Why would you then as a buyer go out and spend millions of dollars, millions of dollars buying, buying millions of electronic Legos, basically, without even like, without just looking under the hood a little bit. When that a decision that could represent huge gains or huge losses Mm -hmm. over a 25, 30, 40 year lifespan, you know, why wouldn't you look under the hood just a little bit? And what's important to note is that this is what PVL is doing. We're helping the buyers look under the hood for the products that they're buying for yeah. modules for inverters, for energy storage systems, because it's so important. It's so important when you're buying something that's that high of value and that many and so many things that can go wrong, both technically and financially. I think there's two ways we could look at this. One is broadly entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. What, what have you learned in the last 10 years that you feel like you could impart or you do impart on your team. The other is a bit more personal and um, gender role defined. How could we be doing this better from a diversity perspective? Like Mm -hmm. where have you grown? What have you learned over the last seven, eight years that you feel like fundamentally is a core truth about startup environment or entrepreneurism? Mm -hmm. Well, I think this kind of goes back to the interview questions at PowerLight, you Mm -hmm. know, in creating that diverse workforce, really, not just at PowerLight, but, you know, PowerLight has really spread out over lots of companies and have done our part to to affect change in those companies. But, you know, asking in those interview questions, not just, you know, where you went to school, how many degrees you have, but asking them, 
how much they can contribute to, to a culture, to things that aren't technical, like we were talking about earlier. Can they actually communicate? Can they talk? Can they be a voice for the industry? Yeah. That art has been lost over time in some of these big, huge companies, yeah. you know, and we're seeing them rise and we're seeing them fall. And I'm not saying this is the, the reason why, yeah. you know, there's a McKinsey study that says that, uh, that companies with more diverse executive boards see 53% higher returns on equity compared to companies that source in the bottom quartile for diversity. Wow. I got one more stat. I see your mouth hanging open. Yeah. I just hit the table. <laughs> the next one, Credit Suisse found that companies with at least one woman on the board outperformed companies with all male boards by 26%. (laughs) Oh my God, that's amazing. I I think this has to do with perspective. Mm. You know, it's that same thing of you can't just have a room full of engineers and try to, and expect to have a successful operation and to be able to, you know, take that information and take it out and talk to the customers about it. You've got to have different perspectives. You have to have different experiences coming to the table if you want to build a successful organization and if you want to reach the target audience, yeah. you know? Hey, Warrior, have you ever designed a system right in front of a customer? Now, for some of you sales folks, that might sound crazy, but for some solar developers, it's crazy genius. In a traditional sales meeting, you show up with a presentation and numbers and That sets up a subtly adversarial relationship where you're trying to convince the customer of the validity of your numbers and the value of the system that you've created for them. With Helioscope's intuitive design software, some savvy sales teams are flipping that script. Instead of showing up with a presentation, you're showing up with a list of questions. And only when you get to know the customer, understand their priorities, constraints, etc., do you then design a system right in front of them, often with the customer looking over your shoulder every step of the way. That's when a certain magic happens. The customer now owns the system. And with Helioscope's new proposal tool, you can actually design, pitch, and close in one meeting. Give it a try and transform your sales process. Head to mysuncast.com and click the Helioscope banner on the homepage. As a Suncast listener, you'll be gifted an extra 30 days for a 60-day free trial with Helioscope. Find out why more solar companies trust Helioscope than any other design program on the market. Does your current asset management software provider call just to check in? If you're already using PowerHub, well, I know your answer is yes. See, when you're using PowerHub's asset management software, your customer success specialist is your guide and advocate. PowerHub's not just a software provider, they're a partner for your growth. And their seasoned customer success team is known throughout the industry for helping developers spot and address core business inefficiencies. They have the largest customer success team in the industry for a reason, so that your business grows, not just bigger, but better, with PowerHub in your corner. Go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more. I went to a GTM conference Mm. a few years ago. This was when I was just getting into business development and trying to be more externally facing. And Lynn Durich, the CEO, founder of Sunrun, Mm -hmm. was a keynote speaker. And, you know, she talked about, and I was like, I was thinking, can I make this work? You know, I really want to do this, but can I make this work with my kids and, you know, just the travel and all of that. And I heard her talk about some of the challenges she faced, you know, in terms of balance and building this, this company, you know, and she talked a lot about taking the company IPO and how hard that was. Mm. And she did it with a newborn, 
she brought the newborn baby no on shit. the road and took the company public, the road what? show. Yes. And I thought, if you're telling this- me, so like <laughs> an, an IPO takes like nine to 12 months. So you're telling me like the, she basically, the whole time she was pregnant, she was getting Sunrun ready to go public and took a newborn on the road show, which is like the most stressful time possible. Yeah. I mean, postpartum, I could barely do algebra. I don't know how she was able to, you know, achieve this tremendous, amazing triumph for herself personally, for the company in this position, you know, having, having a newborn and being a mom and, you know, all that comes with that emotionally and physically, you know, imagine how, how that changed her perspective. Imagine how she feels about women in the industry and about the importance of flexibility and the importance of balance in life. You've got your kid and you're taking, you know, the company public. She's an inspiration to me. That's for sure. And that from that story. And I thought, okay, well, if she can do that, I can travel from Oakland to San Diego. I think I can do Mm. that. But it goes back to, you know, perspectives. I have a, I think a good perspective, a, a holistic perspective on what it takes to run a company from the receptionist all the way up to C suite. And that's how I approach problems. That's how I approach customers is because I know what it's like in those roles. And yeah. I know how hard those are. And I know that, you know, it takes a, a fair amount of perseverance. And that's what I bring with me sometimes to the to the table. And I think that perspective is important. And that's not just because I'm a woman for sure. Well, you know, women are the only ones who can birth babies, at least today. So I've got that experience that's I'm unique to a for woman. That, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I'm quite grateful. Yeah. So I've got that and the importance of balance and mm. the importance of you know, keeping, keeping the work in perspective with other things, the things that really matter, kids yeah. and family. When you've got the responsibility of creating the next human and the next worker in the workforce and all that that is, all that's wrapped up in that, the responsibility wrapped mm. up in that, creating and shaping a human life, that I think brings some unique perspective that women might have, moms might have to joining a business. And that's not to discount other perspectives of of people of, of color and people who are yeah. of different socioeconomic backgrounds and what happens when you get these people in a room with their experiences and their perspectives. Right. And Thank just you for that, because diversity is not just male and female. Right, yeah. and, and how much more input and varied input and how much more relatable the company can be to the mass public that yeah. is diverse. Yeah. What has you most excited right now for growth in our industry? What has me most excited is the growing insistence, demand really for an energy transition. You know, I think that more and more are realizing that we cannot continue on like we are today. We cannot. That our kids, your kids, my kids, the unborn kids, not mine, I'm not having any more kids, (laughs) but um, there's no future for them. There's no clean air for them. There's no food for them. There's no water for them unless we do something now. Yeah. In fact, we should have been doing something now a hundred years ago, right. right? And it's gonna take a monumental global effort to change this for our next generations. And what excites me is the growing concern, awareness of this. But you know, I wanna tell the listeners, it's not enough. Yeah, It's not enough. Mm-hmm. Every single person needs to be bringing their bamboo silverware to, you know, in their travel packs and refusing those straws. And you're so Berkeley. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, actually, not, straws were banned here. Straws are illegal here now. You know, you can't, restaurants cannot, sir, you cannot use plastic straws. Amazing. So we're seeing all kinds of funny, uh, not funny, but creative alternative, alternatives to the straws around here, which like is what? pretty cool. Like paper straws. That's that's kind of interesting. Paper straws suck. Paper straws kind of suck, but you know what? We carry just, around our own metal just like, straws. Just like any requirement of, you know, of a business, they, yeah. they're going to innovate. They're going right. to get more, uh, you know, yeah. they're the compostable straws. Do you remember Those compostable cups 10 years ago really sucked. They really sucked. They really yeah. sucked. And now I think you can eat them, actually. Yeah. I think you can eat those potato cups. They're delicious. Yeah, oh, they're amazing. <laughs> Dipped in hummus. That's Berkeley, too. I love my coffee-soaked uh, potato cup. <laughs> oh, mm. all that extra. <laughs> We're going a little off topic yeah. here, sorry. <laughs> As we begin to round third base here, I would love to get your insight on the types of and names of authors and books that influence your worldview. Do you have a book in particular that you've recommended or gifted a lot? There is a, a series put out by an author. It's about women in science. And my kids read those books and I gift those books because I think it's it's really important if we're going to continue to change, we have to educate our, our, our kids. You know, we have to educate them about, you know, women who have changed history, who have come up with amazing technological advancements. You know, that's how we're going to, you know, my son, who's going to grow up and he's going to, you know, know the story of Marie Curie and come to a company having this amazing feminist background. I have ulterior motives uh -huh. raising my kids, you know, and my daughter, she reads these stories and she's like, I can totally do that. You yeah. know, like that's not out of the realm of possibility. Right. There are kids who are, you know, doing scientific projects and making innovation. Yeah. This one in particular is called Women in Science. Oh, it's called Women in Science. There's another one that I really like. Um, it's the Rebel Girls series. I think it's bedtime stories for yeah. Rebel Girls or whatever. And in that one, yeah, there are, there are young kids, 10-year-olds, and all the way up through of women who changed history, who, who dared to be a rebel. You know, I uh, lately have not had a whole lot of time to do some leisure reading, um, Why do I keep hearing this from executives? I know, I know. Um, I actually, I have this trick where I, uh, I like to run as part of my my balance routine. Yeah. And I run on a treadmill, an old treadmill in my garage. And uh, I have this trick of, uh, I have a Kindle and I turn the font up big and I read while I run. That's the, my allotted reading time. So I've consumed hundreds and hundreds of books since I figured this out. I figured this out when my, my eight-year-old was six months old. Oh, wow. So I've been doing it for a long time and I've consumed hundreds of books and I've read some interesting stuff, some not so interesting stuff. I like to read about, you know, travel and culture. And yeah. I think, you know, anything, anything really that gives me perspective on people. Yeah. Because I think, you know, again, that's, it's such a, it's such a valuable skill for leadership is to know how to communicate with people. You know, when you're a leader, you're communicating with your staff, you're communicating laterally and you're communicating, you know, uh, above and with customers and with, you know, different types of customers, at least for me with bankers and lawyers and, you know, engineers and asset managers and technicians and, you know, yeah. Is it, All so you've read hundreds while running on the treadmill in mm -hmm. huge font. Mm -hmm. What sticks out? Is there anything that stands out as a, a book that's like, wow, that one? I mean, is there something where you've taken a nugget from a book and started using it as a as an executive? The book that you know I've gotten some most recent intel from and advice is called "The Hard Thing About Hard Things." 
Building a Business When There Are No Easy Answers by mm-hmm. Ben Horowitz. The kind of takeaways were just were just about, you know, many of the things I've talked about in here today, but you know, the, the thing that really stands out is just about about titles. Mm-hmm. About even I think he even talks about making titles lateral. Like nobody has a title. Right. You just come to work and you do your job and you, you know, and yeah, you don't get right and you don't get hung up in the hierarchies of things yeah. that, you know, it promotes and fosters team efforts and, you know, more of a collaborative spirit, you know, and here among the team at PVAL, we have this amazing culture. We really do of just enthusiasts. You know, I think I like to think, or I, I tend to think about the folks in solar and some are doing it because it's the right thing. Some are doing it because it makes financial sense. And here you know, we've got a definitely a, a mix. Mm-hmm. And certainly if you're in business development, you have to, you have to think from both angles, all angles, yeah. really, yeah. especially the, what makes financial sense, because that's really what's going to make the solar industry grow the fastest. Mm-hmm. It has to make financial sense. Right. But here we've got this team of just <laughs> fantastic uh, people who think that solar is the right thing to do. And they like their jobs. They yeah. love their jobs. They love interacting with each other. We do all kinds of fun things together. We build mm-hmm. teams. And of course, I got to give a shout out really quickly to the other members of the management team, Chris Faith, who's our chief operations officer, and Ryan Descharnay, who's our chief technical officer. Everybody here in this company who's who's making it happen. And we're all giving so much of ourselves and personally, physically to, to make this company successful, thinking less about hierarchy and more about the team and how we work together and how we can build off each other's strengths. Cause every person here has a strength and something unique. They bring to the table, a different perspective, yeah. right. And drawing on those strengths, I think yeah. was sort of like what I, what I came to conclude and to take away from that concept of, you know, no titles. Yeah. And of course, I also have to give a shout out to Tori Clifford. She's our head of marketing and, you know, is uh, just out there (laughs) making sure that our brand is, you know, building and people are paying attention. And she's, you know, she helps me out a lot and, uh, you know, is, is really is really out there building, building our brand and, and uh, making sure the world knows that, that PVEL is the lab of the downstream. Yeah. Yeah. What habit or consistent practice has had the greatest impact on your work or life? I would have to say running. Yeah. Honestly, I've always been kind of an athletic person and different, doing lots of different types of sports. I was a rower in college. We were an NCAA mm-hmm. Division One team. Wow. Post college, you know, I'm I'm a dancer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, danced for 25 years until the kids came along and it was yeah. a little harder to spend that many hours pursuing that kind of a hobby, but running has really has stuck with me. Mm. Um, and I love, I, I love hate to do it. You know, yeah. it's sometimes hard to psych myself out. That's why the Kindle and the font For and sure. the distraction, you know, and, and getting into a juicy book makes me sometimes forget about yeah. what I'm actually doing and how yeah. hard it is and how it's tired I am yeah. sometimes and just don't want to do it. But pushing my body like that, really helps and, and exercising really helps, you know, maintain that baseline of balance in my life where I feel like I can, you know, okay, I've done this good thing for myself, um, makes me mm. a better, more effective person at work, more available and more balanced at home. Is there a place in particular that people can find you if someone wanted to reach out and get to know you better? Yeah, you can email me. I'm just Tara at pvel.com, P-V-E-L.com. 
Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well. PV Evolution Labs has a Twitter handle. It's just at PV Evolution Labs. Those are all this, the standard places I'm, I'm around. I go to a lot of conferences and events. You'll see me. Let's end today, as we always do, with a bold prediction. What one thing do you, Tara, see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? I'm really fascinated by the concept of robotic installation of, of power plants. So in 2012, there was an MIT tech review of this prototype. And I thought it was so fascinating, this concept of this, you know, of, of a machine that, you know, if, if a machine can operate, you know, in a factory in the dark, you know, you hear about these uh, solar lines, these cell and module lines that are completely dark, all machines. If machines can be that precise making cells and modules, why couldn't it with standardized tests or a test array, yeah. you know, you're, you're installing those electronic Legos. They're all the same form factor. Mm-hmm. You've got the same GCR, you know, this, this would work on a, you know, vanilla sort of flat surface. And maybe you're going to call Balderdash on this because you've got a certain amount of experience in racking an installation, but I'm, I find this fascinating, but yeah. with the, the prospect of, you know, reducing labor costs and, operating 24 yeah. seven and you well, know, you're not alone in taking that. out the, taking out the risk of handling to some extent. Yeah. You know, you're certainly not alone. I've recently heard that the CEO of one of the major utilities is very interested. I won't say who, but it's very interested in mechanical uh, improvements in mm-hmm. the installation process. We'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Standardization. Mm-hmm. Around the installation. But you're laughing. Why do you think this is funny? Because <laughs> we've tried it. Oh, okay. I see. I see. Because and... we installed an entire array, four megawatts, mm-hmm. by robot. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy. No. And it's not only that. Like, why doesn't it exist in the field? Because the field is in a clean room. I can tell you that there's a lot of folks. I mean, maybe I, I think that it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. But near term, yeah. hype. Ah, turn the tables on all right here. all right near-term hype yeah um, but yeah great like that's i actually you know given where we're at in the interview i would concede that your crystal ball is becoming clearer mm-hmm. right that the idea of robotic installation is not far-fetched these days mm-hmm. well tara doyle chief commercial officer of pv evolution labs now known as pvel formally It has been a true joy to have you on Suncast. Thank you for persisting. And uh, thanks for the righteous indignation that we need to diversify here uh, and in other places in our industry. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor, a long time coming, as you said. I've had a lot of fun today. That's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warrior, but the dialogue doesn't have to end here. Oh, no. If you've loved what you've heard here today, please take the time to show Tara and I some love. Share this podcast with your friends, family, barbershop quartet, and cribbage club. Your recommendation is perhaps the highest compliment we could receive. I was, of course, scribbling down notes frantically during our interview and have listed the resources and highlights from the discussion over on the blog at mysuncast.com. To learn more about today's guest or past episodes, just click on the listen link, which will take you to the episodes page where you'll get show notes, social media and website links and fantastic book recommendations as always. And all the back catalog of other interviews chock full of goodies just like this one. 
While you're there, do also check out our Suncast Trot, where you can be a part of my inner circle of solar warriors and trusted advisors. I share tactical tips and goodies and extra exclusive clips that didn't make it into the episodes. Just click on the member button to learn more. And of course, when you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll know when the next episode drops or where I'll be next. Like Solar Power Mexico coming up in a week or Solar Power Puerto Rico coming up in about six weeks. In fact, like I said last Thursday, if you're going to be in Puerto Rico, please consider coming in a day early. I'll be sending out a notification here pretty soon to the tribe in the email list about our mastermind meeting happening. It's exclusive one day. You won't want to miss it. There will only be 15 spots. So you have been duly warned. <laughs> Speaking of next, if you're actually listening on release day, then Hold on to your hat because this week we actually have three episodes coming at you. And tomorrow is my good friend John Bonanno explaining a new project that he and I are working on together called Impact Positive. The universal truth is that this revolution and this transformation is it requires a lot of really talented people from a lot of different corners in the world. Hey, I'm so happy you chose to be here again this week. Remember, you are what you listen to. And thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.